e doa që basoj e kërëgjëshep të kanë nëngri, që këtë të shona e treshet të taki soshet në hajdosi utosocit se isu i nanë, si e shve se ju në bajshep të jekso. Welcome to Con Langery, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley. Uh, with me down the road a ways is Jake Malloy. Hello. And our special guest today. Um, and where are you, by the way, Mike? Uh, I'm in St. Louis. Okay. Over in St. Louis, we've got Mike McCubbins. Hey. Hi, George. Hi, Jake. Welcome. Yeah. Uh, so Mike is running a Kickstarter right now for a comic that does something sort of interesting with um, languages. It's a little bit outside of like conlanging proper, kind of uh, maybe something like what Britain would call conlanging adjacent, but it is an interesting way to use language in a story. And we kind of wanted to talk about it. You will notice if you're on top of your feed that this this episode dropped a little bit early. Uh, that is because the Kickstarter actually ends on the 31st. So we wanted to get you uh, at least a day before um, the the Kickstarter is over for anybody who's listening who wanted to go and back it at the last minute. Um, Mike, wh- how, where is your Kickstarter right now? Um, so here, let me got it up here. Um, we are so it's it's kind of nice because we've got a ten thousand dollar goal on it so then as we've been going through just like the first two numbers have been the percentage so we're around 8600 so at about 86 percent um yeah and we're recording this on the 18th so you're you're pretty much on track but just in case you're you know like you're at nine thousand five hundred when right. when this episode drops People can come in and try to try to get you up to the top. Um, yeah, yeah. But, it's, um, it's all it's an all or nothing deal, and yeah, it's uh, not over till it's over kind of a deal. Yeah, and so the comic is called Anasazi, and uh, we are going to. Uh, it doesn't actually. We'll get into it. It it's not really about the the uh, Anasazi or the um, as as their now termed the uh, ancestral Puebloans, but we'll, we'll, distru- we'll get to the connection in a minute. Uh, before we get to our discussion, though, if you like Conlangery and this is a good show to you, you want to support the show, we have a Patreon. You go to patreon.com slash Conlangery. Uh, you can get all kinds of, uh, you know, you can, you can give just a dollar is fine. Uh, if you want to give more, we have some rewards, like um, people who get give $5 or more, they get the episode early. So that that's uh, something you can think about. Uh, but uh, pay out patreon.com slash conlangery. Uh, I really appreciate all your support. It helps me keep this show running and, and going. Um, so back to Anasazi. So... Um, Mike, I just want you to want to start with um, what was the initial idea for Anasazi, and what like what is the 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 language concept in the comic? Sure, yeah. Um, so the the genesis of it is kind of uh, a little multi pronged. Before I had done any any writing on it at all, uh, so I'm the writer of this. Uh, uh, my friend Matt uh, is the illustrator. Uh, that's Matt Bryan. Uh, before he had done any writing at all, he had come up with a short uh, story synopsis that he was pitching for an anthology, uh, a story he was calling Others, um, which uh, is essentially the story of two clans or tribes um, that uh, kind of have a culture clash. Um, they're unfamiliar with each other, and they come into contact with each other, and there ends up being a, a kind of a massacre uh, that happens uh, over over these uh, children from each of these tribes that go missing. And then one of the, one of these two clans is actually wiped out. Um, and then the other clan returns home, 
uh, only to find that the children that they uh, thought were missing were playing with a couple of children from the other clan. So it's uh, kind of a mistake or on both of the on the part of uh, of either clan uh, and uh, kind of some things that are lost in translation that end up turning it into uh, you know sort of a bloodbath that maybe could have been avoided. Um, and so that's the story that, uh, that Matt had written. Um, and I read that and I was like, yeah, that's, uh, that's a great story. I think you should go with that. Um, and at that point I had even given him, I was like, Hey, here's this, here's a, here's a good title for this. Um, I, uh, and I gave him the title and, and Asazi for it to, to use for his story. I had recently, uh, visited the Grand Canyon or, or near the Grand Canyon, there was a park that I had stopped at and I heard a, uh, a park ranger tell about um, the naming of the Anasazi Indians or, or what's now called the Ancestral Puebloans um, and how they got that name, how it was uh, uh, an exonym. Uh, it was uh, the Navajos name for them and it meant ancient enemy. Um, and uh, that just kind of stuck with me. And the word itself, Anasazi, is just kind of, uh, was kind of a beautiful word to me. And I wanted to do something with it. And so I was like, yeah, take this. And, but immediately I was like, oh, no, I, I don't think the story stops there. And I, from there, I want to know what happens with these, uh, with these characters and with these kids. And I, you know, I, this is something I'd be willing to write. Um, and then, uh, Come to find out, uh, the story was rejected by the anthology. Um, so then we essentially set out to to go ahead and and do that to write out the rest of the story. Uh, and coming up with that first word and essentially the title was uh, kind of was the template for for coming up with the names of the rest of the chapters and actually the rest of the words that are that are used in the book. Finding that word was really kind of uh, uh, an epiphany or something to me and looking for, uh, other words that could tell, uh, their own story in a way and also be part of our story, um, searching out those words, uh, and finding them and putting them together and remixing them into something else, uh, uh, became sort of the goal of it. Okay. So, um, uh, we're going to start out here. If you care about spoilers, at all, then, then I guess you can you can wait until it comes out. But we're gonna mildly, you know, talk about plot elements because we kind of have to. Um, but and I mean this the with this show we haven't really had any problem with people caring about that. But if you care about that, then you might want to be aware. But so the book has sixteen chapters. And you were gracious enough to send me the first eight, at least the, the draft of them, right? And so each chapter is headed by a symbol. It's like a glyph, uh, like a logographic glyph. And then it is a, a, a non-English word or a, a borrowed word. And then, uh, the, the English translation. And we're sort of meant to use these in order to understand what's being said, because nothing, the, the aliens in there, right? The Anasazi and the Malasites is what you're calling them from the, uh, here is mm -hmm. they don't, they don't speak, right? They just have, you just, well, they speak, but they're individual words represented by these glyphs. Um, Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me a little bit about the, um, the philosophy behind that. Why did you, cause, I mean, that's the thing that we're here to talk about is why did you decide that you wanted these aliens to speak in these glyphs and for us to have to sort of figure out what they're saying based on a few clues as, as we go through? Yeah. So there's kind of a few reasons for that. One being just the, uh, the pure graphicness of it. Um, myself and my illustrator were very fond of, of like silent comics, uh, comics that don't use any words in them at all. And in fact, when I find when you mix, uh, uh, you know, typography, uh, with art like that, and unless you do it just right, it's hard to get, you know, kind of just right. Um, unless you do it just right, it can, it can clash in a way. Uh, 
uh, and be a little dissonant. Uh, so we kind of wanted to do something that was uh, essentially silent um, or essentially just graphic, something that would be, uh, if were you to pick it up and leaf through it, uh, it would be a lot more intrigue than understanding right at first glance. Uh, so yeah, just the, just the idea of making it uh, entirely graphic or nearly entirely graphic uh, was uh, was one reason uh, to go ahead with that. Yeah, I think that one of the interesting things that I found was that like you could read it as a silent or a wordless story, but then that addition of the the glyphs and some of them you use before you kind of introduce the the definition, you know, you can, and so it does provide this extra level of like figuring it out, right? It's, it's there's a puzzle involved in it on top of the kind of silent storytelling that's going yeah. on. Yeah. Well. Yeah. That kind of, kind of, that kind of gets to the next, uh, the next thing I was going to say about it, which is that, uh, in a way using languages that, that are one difficult to understand and two, maybe impossible to understand. Like you said, we use, we use symbols before we even introduce you to the definitions for them. In some cases, you're sort of put in the same position as the characters in the book in that sense that uh, uh, you're hearing a foreign language and you don't know what is being said and you have to go off other clues. Um, and so in many ways, the, the book is about uh, misunderstandings uh, between cultures and, and those barriers um, and introducing those uh, introducing language that you'll have to decipher. You just can't decipher uh, it's just part of the reality of, of actual cultural barriers in that sense. Uh, yeah, that was an interesting thing. So you have, so the main two um, groups, the Anasazi and the Malasites, we know them apparently by exonyms, right? The, the You have Anasazi, ancient enemy, and then Malasite, mm -hmm. broken talker. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's what they call each other. And then... They each have, most of the glyphs are in one of those two, represented by blue and red. Correct. Um, yeah. You only gave us the first half. Apparently, in the second half, you introduce a couple others. Yeah. Uh, a yellow mm -hmm. and a black. So, you're sort of building the world partly by giving these different languages a different visual style and sort of highlighting, like, what who the different factions we're talking about are. Talking about um, what Jake was saying, uh, I was thinking, like, this is a book that you would want to read several times to try to get at what's going on. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, the chapter headers really helped with me to guide me, and then we started to get to certain things. I mean, the second chapter is Fisterra, The End of the Earth, and the glyph looks like the river that separates the two. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you, right? I'm glad you yeah. saw that. So from there, I see that like these two, at least the, the Malasite group never crosses the to the other side, right? Um, oh, the, oh. It really, um, and I've read what I was reading. So listeners, what I read is an early version. Uh, but what I, what, when I, it started to sort of click to me when, was when you introduced Ahunka. And uh, by the way, these are all from real world languages. We can go over where, where they all come from. Bedtime story. And then I kept seeing that glyph and it felt like what the characters were saying when they used that glyph was tell me the story. Something like that. Tell me what happened. Is that right? Um, it, well, no, it's not actually. Um, oh, really? Yeah. So with that, uh, so Ohunka is um, a Lakota word, I'm, I'm pretty okay. certain. Um, and so it means bedtime story, but the, the hidden subtext of the word is that you're telling me a lie. It's sort of like a story is a fiction. Uh, and that's the sense in which they're meant to be using that word. There's a... Um, okay. In, in the book, there's a sort of explanation for why this... Uh, um, the Maliseet sort of give these children an explanation for why, uh, for why this, for why their people are just gone, uh, which indeed turns out to be, uh, a fake explanation or a lie. And as 
I think as children, maybe hearing from, uh, you know, their elders, some of them have put it together that, you know, there's something missing about this uh, explanation they've been giving, given. Um, and so they're not going along with the story uh, that's been told. But it's really important to the two Anasazi children that, like, this is the story. Um, so that that bit um, uh, becomes uh, kind of where that that conflict of the story begins to happen with that that word Ohanka. It's like, uh, no, this is all just a story, and then and then the other characters being like, no, no, this is real, and how uh, eventually uh, the characters uh, find out one way or the other uh, what happens with that. Okay, that's that's interesting. So so that was. At least that was your intention. I guess I ended up reading it in a different way. And I might read it more towards your way if I read it again and was able to get more of the information out. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So that's that's sort of what the experience you would get in reading this book is you don't really totally understand everything that's going on uh, because you're given these glyphs and you don't know what all of them mean. Some of them sort of have some resemblance to what they are supposed to mean. Some of them don't. It's like everyone will recognize the Anasazi uh, glyph uh, every time they see it. Uh, and then they'll start to see the, uh, uh, the, the other glyphs repeated and such. Um, so I guess the, the other thing that I wanted to ask um, is... Why did you choose to use real wor world words? I know that you were inspired by the term Anasazi at the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I understand that. But you sort of carried that theme through. Uh, and each glyph is a different word. They look like they're from different languages as well, except for um, uh, Mayday. The, the French Mayday is, is, is in two different places. And you've got also the, the English Mayday in another place. So you've got three different languages with that sort of as the same thing. But yeah. otherwise, mm -hmm. otherwise you've got different words from different, from different places. Why did you choose to do that? Uh, you mean choose to use, uh, like uh, actual words instead of like creating uh, my own language kind of yeah. thing, uh, you know, purely my own language. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, like you said, uh, I, I was inspired by, by how the one, uh, by how Anasazi uh, uh, worked. But, uh, uh, you know, a couple other things. Um, I, part of what I hope is the reading, reading experience for people who read it um, is that they see these words and and they follow a thread there uh, that they look them up and they find their their own like historical backgrounds because um, I think that kind of a metatextual uh, kind of approach uh, will add things uh, for the reader. Um, uh, okay, it gives it a. I mean, I think it gives it a, a bit of a political dimension that it wouldn't otherwise have. I know sci science fiction stories can tend to be. Uh, pretty fantastic uh, things, um, and, and they generally tell uh, you know science fiction and fantasy tell like uh, you know kind of real world stories in their own way. But I think this uh, just kind of puts a uh, puts it more to the point uh, that 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 that's what often happens. Uh, that there is like. Uh, uh, there is that metaphorical content generally in science fiction and fantasy. Okay. That it's about, so that's were... often, if it's about aliens, it's often about like, uh, you know, real world fears of the unknown and things in that nature. Yeah. Okay. So that's, so that is interesting. So you were trying to create sort of um, connections with the real world by using real words from different languages. Um, uh, so, and listeners, we have a little bit of technical issue, so we might have uh, not quite as high quality audio for a few minutes, but we kind of don't want to, like, we don't know how long we're going to have to wait. So we'll just sort of, sort of get into some things. Um, 
Jake, you had a few notes here. You you were the one who turned my attention to Mike. What was what was your sort of interest in bringing him on here? I, so I backed Mike on another um, project. We we went to school together many years ago, but I knew he did good work. So when I saw that he had another Kickstarter up, I decided uh, to give it a look over. And uh, then from you know from that Kickstarter page, I saw that he was kind of using um, using these glyphs, and so I asked him kind of how much language there was to it. And since he uh, had kind of put some interesting things together in terms of language, I, I thought it'd be worthwhile to to look it over here. Uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, and correct me if I if I misread this, Mike, but it looked like uh, at one point there's um, kind of a rite of passage ceremony that happens with a couple of the kids, and then um, they get a little alteration to their glyph after that. Is that... Yeah. The most ridiculously... The, the most ridiculously dangerous initiation rite uh, <laughs> ever. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they uh, exactly. Um, one of the chapters, or a couple of the chapters, which are, uh, to bring it back to what you said earlier, you said a couple of chapters were named after the French word uh, maide. And I wanted to kind of show with ha- having them in both language, uh, show kind of a, a, a loan word type situation with that where uh, it means help me in both languages. Um, so at some point, these cultures, uh, you know, they're not entirely alien to each other. They knew each other at some point enough to where uh, they're using these kind of loan words. Um, and I sort of wanted to sh- use that to show that, uh, you know, they that they have something in common because uh, that is a particular chapter is all about uh, uh, kind of showing how these uh, children from either cultures are really working working together to, to do something kind of fantastic during this uh, kind of ritual. But yeah, uh, so kind of the naming convention um, uh, for, uh, for these characters in for the Maliseet, for the Blue uh, tribe. When they're born or when they're young, they have kind of a, kind of a couple lines coming off to the, to the right side of their name. And that's, those are sort of the only lines there. Their language is kind of uh, concentric boxes. Uh, if you will, um, which have uh, lines that kind of burr off of them in certain ways to show uh, uh, things like uh, tense sometimes and uh, sometimes whether what they're referring to is uh, uh, like has good or bad feeling to it. Uh, in the in the uh, appendix that I gave you it goes into a little more just like what exactly um, the these different bits mean when connected to this kind of box structure. But, uh, so one of the things is, uh, is the, uh, is their naming conventions. And so you go through a number of sort of rituals throughout their life. And when you do, when you reach a certain age, you add uh, kind of another line to your name coming off one of these kind of cardinal directions. And so, yeah, what you're seeing in that one is, uh, is exactly what you said. It's, a uh, um, it's sort of a, a growth ritual and they add that line that comes down toward kind of toward the ground, uh, which for, for that particular language, uh, kind of means things like, uh, 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 toward the ground means toward like evil, toward bad, toward the earth, toward adulthood. Um, so it's got those connotations to it as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so they're kind of reaching, you know, what would be our adulthood, uh, stage at that point and they go through this ritual where uh, basically it's it's similar to like a, a Native American like um, a buffalo jump type thing um, where they bring where they're uh, kind of herding these these animals uh, out to this kind of cliff edge and then um, at, and then kind of luring uh, another animal there um, and going through this kind of this really kind of violent ritual uh, in order to, in a way, prove themselves to their to their tribe. It's all a very uh, kind of violent and uh, a ritualistic act. But yeah, it is very much, uh, uh, it means uh, that, that they're coming of age, uh, in a sense. Yeah. And to, to be uh, clear, it's uh, one of the orphaned Anasazi children, one of the orphaned Reds, and 
one of the um no sorry i got them backwards no it's yeah. one of the no no i didn't get them backwards malicites are the blues malicites are the blues right mm-hmm. yep that's uh, right the reds the reds are the anasazi so it's one of the orphaned anasazi children and one of the Maliseet children do the ritual together, which I think is an interesting point because at this point, these two kids have grown up together and you got to see them grow up a little bit and then they have the coming of age. And that is the point where the Anasazi kid is like going to be asking questions about where, where they come from. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, I don't know how how far we want to go into what happens there, but it it is interesting. You can get a lot of what's going on from the visual context. Um Jake, I think you also noted like there are some like there's facial expressions and there's the antennae, right? Yeah, for lack of a better word. I I guess yeah. I, I call them antennae, but right, it draws on, you know, we've we had a an episode about um kind of non-aural language aspects. And I think they're, you know, especially with uh, this kind of silent bit of the story really draws out the use of um, these others. And in, in some ways it's, you know, like when they, um, when they have their kind of ritual circle with the, I guess, chief or what, whatever you want to call him, you know, they cover their eyes with, with their antenna. So it's this very like specific movement, not just like a, not just an expression as much as like this, this has a particular meaning to it. Right. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think those, those are kind of interesting aspects um, to the storytelling that, that you use well in, in the visual media medium. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And they've got a few different uh, things that they do the thing with uh, where they kind of cover their eyes. Um, And one of the words, uh, uh, which is used in a few different contexts, but is used when they, uh, whenever they open their eyes, they use this, uh, Swahili word that means wake up, uh, this word sinduka, uh, which has a, uh, itself has a couple of connotations and not, means not only like, you know, wake up from sleep, but it also means wake up to something, um, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, wake up to a realization. But yeah, they also do a little kind of like a little, almost like a little, uh, uh, what's the Indian phrase for when you put your hands together? Um, I'm struggling to come up with the word, but they do a thing where they kind of fold their hands together, uh, fold their antenna together uh, when uh, addressing each other by name um, as well. Uh, another one of the things. Um, yeah, I kind of, uh, we kind of went back and forth on just how to show emotion with these characters. And I wanted them to be, as alien as possible while still I wanted there to be that push and pull there for sure of where you're going to have to do a little work to figure out, you know, it's an alien. So you're going to have to do a little work to figure out what their, uh, what the emotional content is. And I thought we kind of came to uh, a compromise with the, with using the antenna and similar to in a way of like an old Bugs Bunny cartoon or something where you can show, where you can use ears essentially to show different things, uh, to show, yeah, like they're, they're surprised or mad or, or, or they're forlorn, um, these different things. But yeah, um, the, the antenna end up, end up being a, a pretty big part of the story actually. Yeah. And I, I think it's an, an interesting way that like in, in the storytelling where you, uh, kind of help the reader understand these glyphs, they also, it kind of shapes the way, at least the way I thought about about the characters in terms of like, they kind of have this kind of repetition in the group where, you know, so one will say say something and the other will repeat it, you know, so in a way teaching teaching us, but also um, gives the sense that the, the, the creatures themselves kind of communicate largely in a in a silent way but have these few words that they they carry out you know that they use as, especially personal names and things um yeah like yeah it's, go ahead when, oh i was just going to say like there's a situation where they're kind of storytelling something that happened you know and so they're kind of acting it out as a charade rather you know whereas so it has you have to do that to fit the 
fit the way the story is being told, but it, um, you know, if they had a full language, maybe they would just, or, you know, however you want to say it. They would just openly say it. Yeah. Yeah. That's go into a big speech about it, but, but they, in this case, they acted out. Yeah. Yeah. And since they, since we've, you know, kind of only given them a few words, they have to, I tried to use as many words as uh, words that were dynamic as possible to be able to get, to get through, you know, what, uh, what story I could with those, but yeah, a lot of it, uh, ends up having to be like, uh, acted out in a sense or play acted, uh, mm-hmm. by those characters for sure. Yeah. So I, I think the, yeah, the way you use the, the visual medium, um, then kind of helps the, the reader interpret the kind of the nature of the characters, you know, that, so I, I think that's a, an interesting way that, that the, the restrictions you put on the language also, like become restrictions for how the characters can act. And, and I mean that in a positive way. Not- yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, in general, like at this, at, at that point in the story too, you would, uh, those other characters would be pretty assimilated, uh, to whatever language they were speaking. Uh, if this were like a real human world or whatever, at that point, uh, when they're, let's say teenagers, um, you know, they're going to have a, a pretty decent, you know, language with each other. Uh, enough to be able to get across these, uh, these concepts. So, um, so yeah, it does, it does kind of take it out of the, uh, out of what would, you know, would, would really real happen. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, it is, it, it definitely, uh, that becomes part of, of the story with the, with the limited use of words, uh, that, that we're using. Um, I want to, I want to say too, uh, that, that while we're referring to all of these as glyphs, uh, and this might be something that this particular podcast might have an interest in, um, is that I don't consider them all to be uh, uh, logographs, um, uh, particularly with the, the blue culture. Um, that it, those are are logographs uh, more than any other of the in any of the other cultures in the book or, or those languages. But I actually attempted throughout uh, the use of those languages from starting with the blue and working through the red and the yellow and onto uh, the uh, the black language, uh, attempted to move in sort of a naturalistic way between logographs um, and alphabetic language um, in a way that is uh, kind of historically uh, accurate uh, in a sense. So when you're looking at when you're looking at the blue language, that's mostly logographic with a lot of like, um, and I'm not sure if, and maybe you can tell me, I'm not sure if there are actual natural instances of, of languages that have that much content in like, in like weird little, uh, uh, just little parts of a word. I'm, I'm, I'm not even certain of that. There may be, uh, but moving on from that to like the, uh, to, to like the red language, uh, uh, I'm starting. I'm starting to try to work in things like uh, a lot, like Mayan language uh, that mixes uh, logographs with uh, with syllables and syllabaries, um, and then moving through those other languages, trying to move from logograph to syllabary to from syllabary to uh, to to alphabet. And by the time uh, you make it to the Black language, I'm I'm, I'm actually considering that uh, more of a, of a straightforward alphabet. Uh, that's interesting because you're also using, like, you're talking about those, and those are, like, phonetic writing systems, but you don't really, I don't know what, to what degree you do, but it would seem like you are not giving us what the actual pronunciations of words are, because you're representing them with these, uh, real world words, right? Yeah. Yeah, so I'm uh, very rarely am I offering any kind of phonetic or spoken content to the language, but there are. I was thinking about this. There are actually a couple of instances where, uh, say, in the red language, where I use uh, like a piece of that uh, glyph uh, is used more than once, uh, and kind of relating that to the Mayan language that would use uh, uh, like a smaller glyph within their larger uh, 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 word forms as phonetic content, um, as right. a way to start saying the word. Uh, so the red language has a little bit of that. Um, yeah. And uh, like I said, very little in, in, 
in terms of like phonetic uh, verisimilitude in that sense. But where I had a chance to do something like that, I uh, I did make the attempt um, there. And, and the one uh, sort of black language word in there, uh, I believe I use uh, a glyph or a letter in that more than once um, to indicate that that the word being spoken um, has uh, has a, a similar vowel sounds, I believe, in that one. Um, and which relate actually to the actual, you know, word Mayday, the actual, you know, real, uh, you know, military distress call Mayday uh, or, uh, or or sea distress call or what have you. Um, uh, so there is a there is a little bit of that um, that I tried to do, but uh, do I, f- I don't feel it's necessary uh, to understanding the story or under- understanding all of that, uh, but more of just like a, a fun little Easter egg for myself and a way to show people who, who might be looking for that sort of thing. Um, if they want to dig a little bit deeper, uh, into the lore of the thing, then, uh, uh, then, then I'll meet them there kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. Um, just, just going back to that, um, what you talk about with the, um, the, the red language, the Anasazi language, having these like phonetic elements or at least the idea that there are phonetic elements that's that's pretty much common for logographic languages in general um the from my under my understanding it's not necessarily something that you see in real languages um in in real logographic systems because when they sort of evolve naturally they don't get this sort of systematic uh, meaning thing going on that you have. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it is interesting. And there, there will, there is an appendix that you sent us that uh, I believe you're going to include with the book that shows like these different um, sort of meanings that can be placed in with marks around the square yeah, that yeah, in particular for the for the blue language, um, they're they're yeah. weird like box based um, uh, language. Yeah, it gives yeah. a little bit of content to what uh, if if there are lines coming off this side or that side of the thing. Um, yeah, it'll give you a little bit of of content as to what that might mean. Uh, again, you won't. Mm-hmm. It's not necessary that you that you read into that, but uh, if you do. You might get a little glimpse of uh, of what I was thinking when I did that, and two, it kind of um, coming up with that uh, actually kind of helped me come up with the glyphs themselves. At least for that, uh, at least for that language, um, I was able to have a place to start from, uh, have that uh, uh, that kind of worldview aspect to start from, uh, and then be able to say like, okay, how would this culture feel about this particular concept and and where can I have these lines coming off to actually give it, uh, you know, a little bit more of a uh, a real or archaeological uh, meaning to it? Yeah, uh, it's interesting still, it, and it it would be it is something that is sort of cool to have on there. Um, I mean, this is this is an art project, and it's not uh, like for. In terms of like what I like to do with conlanging and what uh, a lot of people like to do with conlanging in terms of fiction is to create something that's realistic. In your case, it looked like it looks like you were just creating it in order to support the story you're telling, which is totally that totally makes sense to me. And there are some things in there that, you know, I wouldn't necessarily do when I'm creating a language. But mm-hmm. it's interesting the choices that you made. Um, so it's, and I, I just think it's, this is a very interesting in terms of what you did with storytelling with these languages and how you presented readers with just something, something different, something that they would have to sort of think about and get used to and sort out for themselves. Right. So that that makes uh, so it makes total sense to me. Um, Yeah, we're definitely uh, kind of challenging the reader with this Uh, so much so 
that uh, if you, uh, so we're offering the appendix, but also like if you buy the book on Kickstarter, uh, we also are giving like, if you back at the book level, we're giving you this bookmark that is kind of like a, a shorthand for all the different words in there and, and like some of the names of the characters. Uh, yeah, cause we do realize it's like, it, it's, it is sort of a big ask. Um, and we want it to be challenging, but we also don't want, we want it to be understood. So, um, we're not trying to go so far out there that it's, you know, it, it, you know, kind of a, uh, indecipherable alien, you know, curiosity. Um, you're not, so, you're not writing the Codex Sarfinianus. Oh, no. I'm, yeah. Um, I wish I was because I love that book. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, but no, yeah. Um, uh, we're, we're attempting to bring it back, uh, bring it back to earth in a sense, uh, with a, with a lot of the themes that we're using for sure, uh, in relating to, you know, things that, you know, things, current events even, um, you know, we're not trying to be topical or anything like that, but we're definitely, this all comes from, uh, uh, you know, our own, our, our own places in thinking about things like, uh, um, like culture clash and, uh, and race and even, uh, gender and, uh, uh, many other concerns, family, uh, work, uh, quite a few things going on that are related to like, you know, actual real world life. Uh, we're not trying to, uh, do anything too, you know, fantastic and unreal. Uh, really, we're trying to bring it, bring it back to real life in a way. Yeah. Yeah. And one, it's, oh, I was just going to say one, one thing that I found as I was reading through, that even though a lot of the characters are named visually with, with their glyphs, I had to kind of, for some of them that aren't given a translation, I had to make up a name so that I could kind of keep track for myself. Who, oh, okay. You know, because that... You made some, up like a phonetic name for it. Right. I had to, I had oh, to great. do something, even if it was like, you know, calling one of them Raphael because he's got a, he's red and he's got a kind of a mask shape you know, blotch on his face because uh-huh. I, I found you have quite a few characters and, and I wasn't able to like hold on to the, the glyphs all the time to like, mm-hmm. distinguish. so especially on the second reading, as I was trying to get deeper into it, like I had to kind of, yeah, give, give them a spoken name um, to kind of keep track. Yeah. I should probably say that for people that are listening to like each character, um, they have kind of a, um, markings on them for lack of a better word. Uh, uh, they're colored in kind of a, uh, all in kind of one solid color, but, uh, with, uh, within that there are markings that are somewhat, uh, uh, almost like mask like markings, um, uh, like ritual masks or something on, on many of them. Uh, like you said, some of it's like a dark spot that covers the eyes. Uh, sometimes it like, uh, they also have them on their chest and on, uh, on, on different parts of their head and stuff, just something toward, uh, that counts kind of as a face, uh, way you can tell the characters apart. Yeah. I, I, um, again, I only read it once, but yeah, I also had a little bit of trouble with telling them apart on the first go, but I think if I read it again, or if I read the whole thing and read it a couple times, then I would start to understand who everybody is and yep in there like they um but uh yeah so that's that's just a part of like trying to read this but it is still an interesting uh thing to to uh get out and you know i kind of wonder if something like this really could have been successful without stuff like kickstarter and such i mean it's it's only you know, your goal is only 10,000. It's not uh-huh. necessarily going to be a huge hit, uh-huh. but it is, um, it is like something that you are able to make and get some money out of. And like in the past, you might not have ever been able to get this past a publisher. Yeah. I mean, it is, it, it is a big ask. And I could see like we, we actually did send it to a few places like early on. And we had, uh, some interest from like, um, uh, from like heavy metal, uh, which is probably the closest, uh, thing, uh, uh, the closest 
uh, that being, you know, a, a science fiction being kind of, uh, kind of a psychedelic, uh, kind of thing. Um, the closest thing that's to someone who would actually pick this up and be like, you know, this is our content, but yeah, uh, it, yeah, it's for some, it's, it's really very different in a lot of ways, not just in the language thing, but, um, in the way we set up the panels, uh, it's, it's very different. Uh, kind of the shape of the thing is different. Um, yeah. And because, uh, we, uh, we made this previous book, like Jake said, um, and we're able to make that just how we wanted it. We're like, Hey, uh, you know, we don't really have, uh, to, there's really no gatekeeper. Like, um, if we want to make something like defiantly weird, uh, we can do that. Uh, as long as we can, you know, uh, raise the funds to, to actually make the thing, to print the book. Um, uh, so that, yeah, that definitely went into the thought process. Like, what do we want to make? Cause there's like, uh, there aren't really any restrictions. Yeah. And yeah. not, not to sound like a fanboy, but one of the things that I, you had mentioned the panels and I, one thing that I thought was really enjoyable is just that, um, that kind of the structuring of the panels and being able to kind of have a lot of variety, but also, you know, just those subtle clues of the, the spacing between the panels that let the reader know which direction to go at every time. Like, I felt like that was really, uh, it was very intuitive, but also left a lot of room for that kind of creative flow through the story and through the page. So I enjoyed that a yeah, lot. Yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I think we, it took us a minute, like, um, I kind of come up with this panel scheme before we even got started on this project in particular, but, um, it took us a minute to get into being able to use that, this, that kind of quadrant based panel scheme, um, to fullest effect. Uh, I really like it best when we use it, um, in a, in a couple of ways. When we use the smaller, tinier panels and almost in showing small, discrete little actions that happen within one action, um, almost like an animation or an animatic or something. Um, and I'm also fond of the way Matt used it to, um, to show, uh, almost like little bumpers or, uh, little poetic asides, um, outside of the realm of the story, just showing scenery and passing time, uh, and so forth. Um, though, uh, we may be getting a little off, off topic of the language, but, uh, yeah, uh, that was something we were certainly thinking, uh, thinking a lot about. Well, for for me, yeah. I mean, I know I'm a little far far afield, I, but um, for me, those are parts of language, right? The way we the way we we read the structure of uh, on those larger levels. That's kind of it's it's part of the the learning of a genre is a is a linguistic component. Yeah, certainly, it's a language in its own, and we we actually, and this is probably. Uh, another case in which it would be a spoiler, um, uh, further on in the book, when we get to like the, uh, the culture with the black language, um, uh, we actually show them using, uh, the 16 panel grid, like we're making it in the book. Uh, at some point, uh, we figured, um, that we could use that as a clue, uh, perhaps as to, to how the whole story turns out, um, by by using the language uh of the book uh to show um uh and hinting at that language with within the book if that makes sense um if we show characters using this language and then uh the book itself is made of this language uh what what might that say about uh, uh the winners and losers of this cultural battle uh so that was certainly something we were we were thinking about as well so that's, yeah, that's all very interesting. Um, so I think we've been recording for a while, and I think we'll kind of want to wrap up. Uh, the, the, it's all very interesting. The, so the book is Anasazi. I will link to the, the Kickstarter in the show notes. So um, again, this episode is planned to go out early. So... Like, if you see this episode and you're listening now, like, you can jump on it and see if, uh, if you can, like, get in just before the end of the Kickstarter. And then, uh, yeah, this is, um, it's very interesting. I'd be very interested to see 
how it turns out in the end. Uh, but uh, yeah, thank thank you, Mike, for coming on. Is there any last thing that you would want to share with us before we uh, wrap things uh, up? No, not exactly. I made, I was kind of interested in, in hearing uh, kind of your opinion on what kind of languages uh, uh, you consider this to be, like looking at... Uh, some of your other uh, episodes and things. I know you were using words like art lang and nat lang and so forth. I'm interested in what those uh, sort of things mean, and uh, and and in your opinion uh, upon uh, what this would be. Is it an is it perhaps an art lang or, or what do you think it is? Um, well, I mean, if I were going to classify it as a con lang, it would be an, the these would be like art langs. Uh, one thing is that they're not like complete languages. Mm-hmm. So like, they're not, they don't uh, quite have that so, cred yet. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's not necessarily, it, it was what it needed to be for the story, but they are definitely artistic languages, which is what art, art language stands for. So I think we could call them that, even though like, you know, it's, what I see here is doing something language-related in a very interesting artistic way. And that's what caught my eye and thought made me think, yeah, I agree with Jake. We can, we can do an episode on this. Cool. Well, so, I'm, I'm, um, yeah. Yeah. I'm but, um, glad to be on. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, it's a really cool thing. And maybe some people will be inspired by this to do other, like, weird little projects like this because it's it's a really um interesting sort of curious thing yeah um maybe you you jake did you have oh i was just thinking maybe some people could uh if listeners wanted maybe they could add add some to the language you know like flesh it out Mm -hmm. a bit yeah um yeah yeah i would i I mean fan fiction is kind of the highest form of flattery um that would be awesome (laughs) yeah Okay, so, um, yeah, I think that we're, so I think that that's it. So, uh, I'm gonna say, so, uh, thank you, Mike, for being on. And, uh, thank you, Jake, for, for introducing me to this. And, uh, I hope you guys enjoy this and enjoyed this discussion and, uh, want to take a look at the Kickstarter, see if it's something that you would be interested in. And, uh, with all that said, I'm going to say happy conlang. Happy conlang. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. Conlangery is supported by our listeners. Thank you to Margaret Ransdell Green, Bram Hill, Ezekiel Fordsmender, and all our patrons who support us at patreon.com conlangery. Conlangery is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Share-Alike license. You are free to use or adapt our work for any non-commercial purpose as long as you credit Conlangery Podcast and release any derivative works under the same license. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society. Our site was designed by Bianca Richards, and our theme music is by Null Device.